0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special Christmas message, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: The goal of the book of Hebrews is to... Help Jewish Christians, new Jewish believer Christians to understand that Christ is better. Context, 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 Calvary. I tell you all the time. So the context is the writer is seeking to help new believers, people who Jewish believers who gave their life to Jesus Christ. The whole book is about this, who gave their life to Christ, but now they're under the pressure of Judaism because there's one thing about um, when you, uh, have grown up in something or you've grown up with a tradition or you've grown up with a certain belief, it's really difficult to just shed that belief. So they grew up with the temple and they grew up with sacrifice. And they grew up with, 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 with order in the temple and going to the temple and offering the various sacrifices. Well, now the writer is saying to the believers, you don't need to sacrifice anymore because here's the theme of the book. Christ is better. Better than what? Better than the angels. Read the whole book. You'll see better than the angels, better than Aaron, better than Abraham, better than the sacrifices, better than the temple. So when you give your life to Jesus, you've got all these ingrained ideas and thoughts and feelings and way that you make moves and mobile in the world. The writer is helping these Jewish baby Christians to understand that they don't need to be afraid and ashamed of Jesus because of the pressure of Judaism. There was a temptation to be a closet believer or a secret service Christian. Huh? God doesn't treat us like that family member we don't want to introduce. (laughs) I wrote that down because I want to be sure you heard that. okay? because that's important. God doesn't treat us that way. Am I right about it? Jesus. Here's what happened. What happened, Pastor? What happened? Jesus puts his arm around you. He puts his arm around me and he says, Rodney, or put your name there. I'm not ashamed to call you my brethren. That is awesome. I'll wait while you clap your hands there. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure why people are ashamed of the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, are you? No. <laughs> Y'all don't want it with Grandma Betty. I'm just telling you right now, you don't want it, okay? You definitely don't want it. No, we shouldn't be ashamed of the Lord. He wasn't ashamed of us. Paul, the apostle, Romans chapter one, verse 16. Look that up for me, honey. Romans chapter one, verse 16. I won't tell you I'm wrong. Romans chapter one, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the, oh, y'all too sleepy for me. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the, Unto salvation to everyone who believes. Why are people, why are believers ashamed of Jesus? And we live in a culture nowadays where if you are not, God help me. If you are not in sync with the world's view on everything, people seek to cancel you. Uh-huh. That boy preaching right now, ain't he? People want to cancel you. They, 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 they want you to cower in a corner and keep your mouth shut. We don't want to hear it. This is where the world is going right now. And now more than ever, I need the saints to listen up now more than ever. We need to be the people of God who are willing to stand for Jesus, who are willing to open our mouths for Jesus, who are willing to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. Not your words, not my words. It's the gospel. And we can't allow the world to. Squeeze us into its mold. Can't can't allow that. Can't allow that. And no, 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 we don't need to be secret service Christians. Grandma, am I right about it? I know that. Jesus, really interesting. Okay, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. It is interesting because Jesus has every right to be ashamed to call us brethren. And he's not. He's never been ashamed. Am I right about that? Number four, let's move on. Jesus was born. What's number four, y'all? The be our Satan conqueror. Now, I'm going to explain this to you really easy. Verse 14, just look at it. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death... Jesus might destroy Satan. In other words, saints, believers are human beings and partakers of flesh and blood. Jesus also took on flesh and blood and became what we are, that through death, look at verse 14, he, Jesus, might destroy him, Satan, who had power over death, who had the power of death. So Satan's greatest power, what's Satan's greatest power, Pastor Rodney? His greatest power was death. Was death. Satan knows continued sin brings death. So he tries to keep people in sin. So somebody had to destroy that power. Somebody had to shatter death. Jesus destroyed and shattered the power of death. Can you say amen? Now, when the Bible, listen to me close, when the Bible says Jesus destroyed the power of death, that doesn't mean that nobody is ever going to die. It does mean, actually, on the contrary, that everyone will die. No one escapes death uh, and taxes. Uh, Nobody escapes death. Am I right about death? Listen, death is certain. Death is certain. And you can take the vaccine for the Rona all you want you're still going to die. You understand? Because death is certain. Everyone dies. Scientists die. Virologists die. Uh, Nobel Peace Prize winners die. Good people die. Black people die. Rap artists die. Country singers die. You know the statistic I like to tell you. They say a hundred out of every hundred people die. (laughs) That means everybody, y'all, right? Everybody dies. Jesus, here's the good news. Conquered death so there's no need to fear death. Now listen, I don't fear death. I do fear dying. I'll explain. I don't fear death. I do fear dying. In other words, I do have a preference in the way that I die. <laughs> I want to die in my sleep or I'm okay. I'm going to say it. Do die. they shaking their head. Don't do it. I'm going to say it because this is where I feel. I'm okay to die like right here before you all. So sick. So sick. I'm okay. Look, I always tell you, my preference is, okay, my preference is go to sleep and just don't wake up. Okay, it's all good. My second choice is like preaching the word. I want to die. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God will be good to me. Two things, two things. If I die preaching the word, I'm like mid-sentence. I want to be, for it was fitting for him. That's the way I want to go. And then the other thing is, when I get to heaven, I want to get an afro. So I don't really have any difficult, look, there's nothing too hard for God. Y'all need to have some faith. That's your problem. You don't have faith. I have faith. I'm going to have an afro in heaven. I'm not a big positive confession, but I'm going to name that thing and claim it. Big old afro and a pick in the (laughs) back. I tell you, if you go to this church, you hear this all the time. So I prefer uh, to go to sleep and wake up in heaven. Dying or being eaten by sharks is not on my preferred list. Piranhas, not on my preferred list. Things that eat me in the water, not on my preferred list. The guillotine is not that bad, I guess. We don't have to, <laughs> We don't have to fear death. Somebody say amen. We don't have to I wait, come on, clap your hands. I will wait, that's fine. That's fine. So in verse 15, not only look at verse 15, not only did Jesus destroy death, but he also destroyed the need to fear death. By, look at it. By those Look at verse uh, 15 just proves in verse 15 uh, 16 Yeah. 14, 15, 16. By those who had been in bondage to fear all their life, saints, death is a defeated enemy because of Jesus death on the cross before Calvary. Watch this. Men were held in bondage to the fear of death. When people in the Old Testament died, there was an uncertainty. The Old Testament talks about the resurrection, too, by the way. But there was somewhat of an uncertainty, if you will, or a gloom or a haze over people's eyes, minds, spirits as it relates to death. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus has cleared that haze away. Life and immortality have been brought to life, to light through the gospel. Second Timothy chapter one, verse 10. So Jesus, let's get back. Jesus was born. To be our substitute, to be our salvation, to be our sanctifier, to be our Satan conqueror. And then finally, number five, Jesus was born to be our sympathetic high priest in verse 16 through 18. Look at verse 17. Therefore, in all these things, he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. As a man, Jesus is one of us. He's been made like his brothers. Because he is one of us, he can sympathize with us. Sympathize, got your pen, means to be touched with feelings. It speaks to a common experience with men. Jesus had a common experience with men, and he sympathizes with our weaknesses because he was tempted, the Bible tells us, in all areas like us, yet he never gave into those temptations without sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, are you looking at it, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So you ask Pastor Rodney, how was Jesus tempted? Let me give you a few areas that I identify. Perhaps you might be able to identify more. How was he tempted like we are? How so? Well, think about it. Jesus perhaps was tempted to lie and to save his life. Now, let me just kind of put this in here. He didn't give in to the temptation. Are y'all still with me here? All right but more than likely he was in the flesh. He could have been tempted to lie to save his life. Remember the soldiers came to get him and they arrested him and they took him to the praetorium and he could see the nails, the hammers, the chains, the whips, the spears. And then they asked him, don't you remember, are you the Christ, the son of the living God? Jesus possibly tempted at that point could have said, no, I'm not. And walked away but he said nothing. He didn't answer them. So there is a temptation. Here's another one. Jesus perhaps was tempted to steal. I mean, think about it. Joseph died. Jesus is the older brother. He had a mom and a family, the older brother's responsibility to take care of the family. He had a mom and a family, uh, brothers and sisters for others to feed. So they were poor with nothing Widows didn't have it easy, so perhaps tempted to steal. How about this? Jesus tempted to covet. Remember, he went over Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. Remember that? And perhaps Jesus saw his house and he said, nice place. Because the Bible tells us foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus perhaps tempted to covet. Here's another. Jesus perhaps tempted to dishonor his parents any teen would Jesus here's another was tempted to take a, take revenge when he was wrongfully accused how many times did they flat out lie on Jesus and with just one word Jesus could have made fools of them but he didn't Jesus was tempted to murmur perhaps at God's sovereignty when his cousin, John the B, was beheaded because of some stupid girl dancing, Jesus could have said, God, why did you let that happen? Could have been. Are you following me? Jesus was tempted, perhaps, to gloat over his accusers. When he asked them a question, they couldn't answer. He didn't say, hey, dummies. He didn't do that. So the Bible is clear that Jesus, according to Hebrews, was tempted as we are, Yet without sin, every single time he triumphed over the temptation and he did not sin. Now, as high priest, Jesus' primary role, take your pen, is to make reconciliation for sins. This is his primary role. Reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. Reconciliation means to appease. It means to satisfy. It means to pacify or propitiate. We just heard the word propitiation, propitiate. So the sympathetic high priest satisfied, listen to me close, at home. The sympathetic high priest satisfied the wrath of God for sin. Now, I realize that there are a lot of people who have a hard time with the wrath of God. They just do. And the reason they have a hard time with the wrath of God Because they have and confuse the wrath of God with the wrath of man. People confuse, say it again, people confuse the wrath of God with the wrath of man. There's a difference. The wrath of man is motivated by self and has temper tantrums. I ain't talking to nobody here. The wrath of God doesn't have temper tantrums and is motivated by love. The wrath of man is violent and out of control and sometimes no direction or purpose. The wrath of God is always directed, always has purpose and always is justifiable, right? So people then say, well, then how can God be a God of love and be a God of wrath? Well, let me say it like this. If God truly is a God of love, then he must be a God of wrath because the wrath of God. And here's what most folk miss it. The wrath of God goes hand in hand with the love of God. Almost like maybe you can relate like the wrath of a parent goes hand in hand. I know that ain't politically correct now. You ain't supposed to say wrath and parent in the same sentence, but it's going to be okay. The wrath of a parent goes hand in hand with the love of a parent. You love your children, so you chastise your children. I almost said, so you beat your children, but that's another one that's not politically correct. You love your kids, so you beat your kid. No, you love your children, so you chastise. They, they go hand-in-hand. Hand. Are you following me? Here's the best illustration. I've been using it for years. The best illustration I can come up with. Think about this. A rabbit diseased doll comes in your house, foaming at the mouth, snarling, showing teeth, and tries to bite the kids. Would it be okay... For me to take out my nine millimeter and pour out my wrath on the dog and shoot it, or you already answered. (laughs) Or let me finish. Or should I say, I love puppies. That's a nice puppy. Go ahead and pet the puppy to the kids. No, you don't say that. Why? Because the dog is rabid and diseased and doomed to die. Here it is, saints. An expression, my expression of love for my kids is shown as I protect them and judge sin. Are you following me? Same with God. No different. God is a God of love. And because God is a God of love and God knows how destructive sin is, God in his love pours out his wrath on sin. So verse 17 tells us Christ came, died in our place, that he might make propitiation, reconciliation, appease God for the sins of people. Did y'all pick that up? Say amen. Now in verse 18, this merciful, faithful high priest, Jesus, suffered and was tempted. And because he suffered and was tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Not only did Jesus atone for our sins, he is qualified by personal experience to aid believers in their struggle against temptation because he was tempted. We just talked about it. So Jesus was born. Why was Jesus born? Number one, Jesus was born for what, saints? Come on. Number one. For a substitute. There you go. Number two, Jesus was born for? Number three, Jesus was born for? To be a sanctifier. Number four, Jesus was born to be our Satan conqueror. And then finally, Jesus was born to be our sympathetic high priest. Let me read you something as we come in for a landing. It's called, entitled, The Amazing Life of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, a babe was born in Bethlehem to a virgin. His entire life on earth was spent helping others. When he saw hungry people, he fed them. When he saw cold people, he clothed them. When he saw sad people, he cheered them up. When he saw discouraged people, he encouraged them. When he saw weary people, he strengthened them. When he saw poor children, he blessed them. Bereaved, he comforted them. He blessed them that cursed him. He loved them that hated him. He prayed for them that despitefully used him. He never sought revenge and he never took vengeance. He never tried to get anybody back. And for 33 years that he lived on this earth, he never hated anybody. Think about that. People have a hard time with Jesus. People got a problem with Jesus. Why do you have a problem with Jesus? He ain't no problem with you. Y'all say amen. Well, you had a problem with Jesus. All he wants to do is bless you. He wants you to have a good life. He wants you to be blessed and and have peace. But people hated him without a cause. When Judas betrayed him, he called him a friend. When people reviled him, he did not retaliate. When they nailed him to the cross, he prayed for their forgiveness. Saints. Saints. This is really what Christmas is all about. Am I right about it? That's what it's about. God sending a great, sympathetic, approachable high priest that through him we can have access to God. God sending a great, sympathetic, high priest, approachable high priest gives us access to God. That's why we read it in Hebrews. Can I have my verse again? Uh, Hebrews, uh, let us boldly come to the throne of grace. Uh, Hebrews, on the screen, please. Hebrews 4. Thank you. For we do not have a high priest. Can y'all come on? Uh, Come on. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. And I want you quietly stand to your feet and read this with me and read it like you mean it. Come on. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne, where y'all at, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We can come to, yeah, I'll wait, I'll wait, and then I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to tell you something. Let us boldly come to the throne of grace. Do you understand that you have access to God 24-7-365? We can go to God. I remember, I'll tell you quickly, you guys know I went to Catholic school for many years. And uh, my mom worked hard to get us through Catholic school. It wasn't cheap back in those days. and probably ain't cheap now. I don't know. And I remember I learned and had come to understand that I needed to go to the priest in order to go to God. Right? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says, let us boldly come to the throne of grace. That means anywhere, anytime, riding in the car, uh, pumping the gas, in the store, in Walmart. Yeah, you need to go at Walmart. Yeah, (laughs) you better get to that throne. Amen. You can go anytime. Isn't that good news? You can go anytime. You don't have to wait to a certain day or a certain time of year. You can draw near anytime, and he will draw near to you, and it doesn't matter Where you are, he is approachable, accessible. He's sympathetic toward us. He knows what we face. Are you listening to me? He knows what we struggle with. He understands our humanity. He knows what we're going through. He's down to earth. Jesus is down to earth. He's God's own son. Say amen. And our great high priest say thank you, Jesus. The wall is broken down. The gap is bridged.